is already episode six of the Pirates of the Airways podcast. This time I'm chatting to Colin Noble from London's rock station Alice's Restaurant. We chat about how he got started on Alice's from being a fan of the station to becoming a presenter and how the station operated through the first half of the 1980s. If you'd like to be on a future episode or have any comments about the podcast then you can email us at piratepod7080 at gmail.com or just leave a comment on the Facebook page. On the subject of feedback, I'd like to thank, amongst others, Rob, Paul, Andy, Gary and Stuart for taking the time to contact me about the podcast. As always, thanks to thepiratearchive.net and amfm.org.uk for their help. Okay, let's start our chat with Colin. Welcome to the latest uh, edition of the Pirates of the Airwaves podcast. Uh, Today, we're going to be speaking to Colin Noble, who were pirate of the past, of course, Colin, how are you? I'm very good, thank you very much. Of the past is quite right. It was a long time ago. I've got to try and jog my memory now for this little interview. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that does seem to be the situation most people have, is that I'm trying to remember what happened. My first thing is, when did you first become aware of pirate radio specifically, as opposed to just radio? Well, going way, way back, I, when I was very, very tiny, I actually remember the old boats out on the uh, North Sea, um, which is probably you know, sort of uh, pirate radio out, out, out of sea. Um, and then obviously in, in the future, uh, just sort of twiddling around a dial on the radio, picking up uh, music that you didn't normally hear on the radio at the time. Yeah, so what, what, what sort of time would that, when would that have been? That would have been in the early 80s, probably, when you was getting sort of um, pirate radio, land-based pirate radio on the, well, medium wave and then sometimes FM if you were lucky. Can you, first, can you remember the first land-based pirate that you heard? Oh, no, I really can't. There was so, to be honest with you, there were so many of them. I mean, there was even sort of some in different languages, Greek and things like that around at the time in, in, in London. Nothing springs to mind at all, really, no. I mean, I can, I can name a few, but they weren't, I don't know what the first one was, no. And what was the first station that you actually got involved with? The first and only one was Alice's Restaurant, which is a rock music station. And and how did you get in touch with them? How did you get involved? Ah, oh, well, it's a, how much time have you got? Um, okay, I've always liked rock music, and I started off doing uh, mobile discos because uh, I had an apprenticeship at the time with British Gas, so I couldn't really get into radio as it was. And at the time, there was only sort of Capital Radio and Radio One around. Um, so from sort of mobile discos, I moved into hospital radio, and then I was doing stuff for a local cable station in Basildon which just went through the House of the State in Basildon, but via cable. So if you didn't live, live in Basildon, you, you, you couldn't hear it. And that was really sort of poppy music and stuff like that. I've done bits and pieces for them. And then some on-air, off-air stuff at Essex Radio. But I still like rock music, which you couldn't really get at the time. You had, you had uh, Tommy Vance, Bit Alan Freeman, John Peel even, but not a lot of rock music. So I started messing around at home, just tuning around on the dial to see what was, what was around. 
And I picked up the station that sounded quite good, quite good quality, um, music that I liked. And there was a DJ on there called Bear. And uh, it was, he had such a warm voice and so welcoming when you was listening to, the, to as a sort of radio should be. And the station also started playing album track, whole albums rather than album tracks. So <laughs> I'd done the usual thing. And I always remember the address. It was in Barnabas Road in Woodford was their mailing address which I thought was where the studio was because I didn't know what was going on. You know, all I could do was hear the radio station. Um, so I made, a, as you normally do, a little addition tape from this, um, from this uh, Radio Basildon. Sound I like rock music, blah, blah, blah. And then, surprisingly enough, I've got a phone call, I think, from uh, Steve Price, who I still work with now, funnily enough, um, to invite me to come along to Alice's restaurant. All very secretive at the time. I knew the Alice's guys very well because I was uh, involved when they first started doing Phoenix Radio and all that sort of stuff on Medium Wave. And then I split away and did Radio Comsat and they carried on because I was more punk than rock as such. And they then they moved on to FM and, and, and did those stations. I do remember the mailing address, number one, St. Barnabas Road, Woodford Green, Essex. We used to use a phone box next to that house to take the phone calls for Comsat for quite a while. And I know we did we did with Phoenix as well when that was on Medium Wave when it was on two one four. I never did know who lived in that house. Never knew. It was. I tell you exactly. It was no one connected with the station. It purely was a mailing address. And from what I remember, they may correct me on this. Certainly, Lawrence was involved. Or Laurie was involved in this. And uh, he sort of knocked on the door. He was a, a guy who was at school with me, who lived there, and uh, and subsequently at school with 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 Laurie as well. And um, they said, "Yeah, fine." And it just carried on like that. And they used it for ages. Yeah. Well, we had a we had a phone line with Debbie who I'm still in contact with, and she's still got the, the, the same phone number of people that used to listen to Alice's Restaurant back in the 80s still phone her up now. So they were sort of teenagers, and they still, then they're growing up, they still phone her up now. But that's how I – yeah, so that's what happened. So then uh, I, I had to secretly meet Steve Price. And then after that, what, what, was, what was the next move? Did, did they bring you into the studio straight away? or The next move was rather strange because it was all quite – I can't remember exactly whether I went in Steve's car or I followed him in my car. We went to um, a tower block in uh, North London. Uh, Tony Warren was the, the, the guy, the DJ. It was in his bedroom, the studio. Now, I'd never seen a pirate radio studio in my life. All I'd seen was hospital radio because um, there's no internet now, so, I, and then, so you couldn't see things as you do nowadays. And what I'd seen at Radio Basildon, which was quite a, you know, a proper setup with cart machines and turntables, because there's no CDs then. When I walked into this, I saw a mixer that was so tiny <laughs> that was like unbelievable. You know, just enough, just just enough faders for what you needed. Um, two turntables, a really good microphone, and a couple of cassette players. And I'm thinking, this is a radio studio? It's not what I've seen or what I was, what I was used to. And the albums everywhere and things like that, you know. Um, and then I realised it was a skill of the presenter to make it sound like it was, you know, um, professional and as good as it, as, 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 it, as it was meant to sound. Um, and then as I remember, I think I, Steve Price, again, done a programme. Um, and I was chatted with Steve as we, you know, jointly done this three-hour programme. And then the last hour, he said to me, well, do you want to have a go? <laughs> and uh, off I went. This was the pre-faith. This was that. That was that. And uh, there are the records. And off, off I went. 
And I was in then for some strange reason. They must have liked me. It's strange because you talk about using turntables and cassettes and and very small four-channel mixers and stuff. And we both do radio now in the modern way, you know, with, with play-out systems and so on. And I found it quite difficult to move over to play-out systems because I was so used to actually the physical holding the records and queuing everything like that. I'm, I'm obviously, we've, I've got used to it now, and, and it's fine. And I'm thinking, oh, how did I ever live without this system? But I remember when I first got involved in digital play-out systems and I thought, how do they do this? This just seems so di- disconnected from what you were doing. It, it seemed all very sanitized compared with, you know, having records all around you and a little box of records at the side. But like anything, you know, it all moves on. And uh, and now I love the play-out systems. I was on the radio last night and it went, you know, thinking, oh, yeah, because I'd managed to preload everything in in the afternoon, so I didn't have to worry about all that. <laughs> all right. Yeah, it's another one of those records with lots of false endings nearly caught me out. Still, that was uh, a band with sort of very Greek-sounding origins, an outfit called Hyksos, and a track off of their debut album, which was called Strut. Not the album, the track was called Strut. The album was also called Hyksos, as far as I can see. I can't see any other titles anywhere on it. Before that, you heard Voidy Fay and a track, and I'm going to have trouble getting this one, but uh, it, I think it's called Parpleu de Saison, which, uh, according to my um, interpreter, means something about just 16. The other strange thing was people's names. Because it was illegal, you couldn't use your real name. So is your name Colin Noble? Yeah, my, my, my actual surname is Bissenden. When I was working for Radio Basildon, they was, they, they was doing, they wanted to do jingles and stuff for some of the presenters. I was only with them a short period of time, but Bissenden was a bit crazy, you know? So they said to me, can you think of a, a, another name? And I went, well, I don't really want to change my first name. They said, what's your mother's maiden name? And it's Noble. So anyway, so when I went, when I went with Alice's, again, I, I, went, I said to them, look, I've been using this name, Colin Noble, and it's easier to say than what other surname. I'll keep that. So I kept that. But some of them changed their names completely. So Lawrence, Lawrence for instance, was Brian Marshall, right? So I listened to Brian Marshall on air. So they turned around, and then I realized this is Brian Marshall, tall guy, thin guy, yeah. So hello, Brian. But everybody was calling him Lawrence. Do you know, do you, do you see what I mean? It was really strange for me to get my head around that, you know? Because I came, sort of, was in that world quite a bit before you. And as I said, I knew all those guys, you know, way back when we were all sort of 14, 15 years old. Martin, very good friends of mine, still still contact, still in contact with them all. And, and the whole name thing, I knew that sort of happened. I knew that's what you had to do. And, and the way I did it, and someone said to me, try and use two first names as your DJ name. So I was Steve Justin. And Justin is my middle name, uh, and it just seemed the right thing to do at the time. And I was that for the whole time I was on the radio, right through to the last pirate stuff I did was on Radio Shoestring. Yeah, I remember Street. We, we we broadcast from the back of a carpet shop. I think that's where one of their studios were. Alice's. What the Radio Shoestring or Alice's? Yeah, we, we we broadcast as Alice's from their studio, which I think was the back of a carpet shop in Walthamstow. I I broadcast yeah down by St James Street Station. I broadcast and I used to do their Sunday morning breakfast show from there. <laughs> so then you're on the air. You've been thrust on the air. Here we go. This is it. This is the turntables. Play some music. How involved were you from then? I mean, how in Alice's life, how early was that on in their in their life? Well, they were Phoenix. And then I think they was quite new as Alice's Restaurant when I joined. Um, as far as I know, I, as I say, I think it was Phoenix. Then they was Alice's Restaurant because Tony Warren, whose who's, uh, studio we was using, uh, in this tower block in, in North London, 
um, was there as well, and he left quite early on. So I do think it was quite in the early sort of stages. But I did get very, I got involved with it very quickly, rather than just turning up doing the programs. I got involved with it really, really quickly. Did you do the tower block work and all that sort of stuff? Because I love to. I I never did tower block stuff. I only ever did fields on medium wave. So I, I love hearing about tower block stories, basically. Yeah. So. Alice was very, very lucky that the studios never got busted. And I think that was because we were quite strict. We had no friends in the studio. So although they knew you was on the radio, you know, and they could listen to you, you couldn't bring them to the studio. It was just a very small group of people, and that was it. That was us, and that was Alice's restaurant, and nobody else was, was, was involved. Partners, girlfriends, but that was all, really. You know, that would ever pop in now and again, maybe. So the studios never – but obviously the transmitters got busted quite a bit. So – Martin, Dave Lane, <laughs> and Piers sometimes, like we can say this now, it doesn't matter, who were, who were sort of making the, uh, the the transmitters, decided that, okay, we need to go out and we need to, to, to sort of put them on the tower blocks. We need we need help. Oh, so I, I thought, okay, I don't mind. I'll volunteer, no problem at all. Might have been a bit of fun, really. Um, and I was surprised that these were in biscuit tins. They were very small. I remember seeing a, an interview with Piers about this that he did for the television, and he said there was no point in putting them in boxes because they just used to get taken. I think a lot of the time it was just circuit boards and components literally on the ground. But, yes, I've seen the biscuit tin stuff. So they work out technically because they're very clever which tower block to use. For the main, because sometimes you had one, you had the main transmitter, and then it jumped across to another tower block, and then to the studio. So if they, so that it was very difficult to find the studio. That was a bit you, you didn't want the DTI to find. Um, so you turn up with a ladder, looking like a workman, really, uh, a bag of tools, and and that was it, really. Um, so you need to go in the lift, go to the very very top, and then you get the ladder up and you open the loft hatch to get into the loft hatch because you have this 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 fire brigade key to get into the loft hatch. Um, hoping that no one come, comes out to see you. But if they do come out, you just say, oh, we've got, you've got an issue with your lifts, we're, we're fixing it. And you knew then they wouldn't complain or, you know, because they knew, if the, you know, if the lifts go out of action, we're stuck. So no one ever, you know, this sort of workman working on the lifts. So you go up there. I remember being with, uh, with Martin, praying and hoping there's a plug socket up there because you can't plug the thing in. You can't, it doesn't work. So we're, so we're going up there. Uh, and it was any time of the day, really. We Sometimes at night, but it doesn't really matter what time of the day you've done it. Went up there, and then they would find, um, obviously, a sort of plug socket to plug the biscuit tin in. So you, you, you plug that in and settle that up. And then you've got to run all the cable around to the aerial, which is like a CV area, really. Put it up as high as you can. Um, and then do do some kind of test. Uh, and then when they were, when they was, when they was sort of satisfied with that, because I was like a dog's body, really, the labourer, you know. I'm not, I couldn't, you know, I can still do a bit of soldering, but I couldn't make a transmitter. Down you go with the ladder again, back in the van, onto the next block, where you would put in another little small, not always, but sometimes another little box to add to, to, to jump it across to the to, to the studio. Um, and that was quite, um, that was quite fun, really. You know that whole thing with the tower blocks. I'm not very good at heights, <laughs> which is another reason I was never very keen on that stuff. But like I say, I, I never did. I never really did the FM stuff. Not as a, not not engineering anyway. You know, I say engineering. I could switch up and tune up a medium wave transmitter. That was about it. No, I never did the tower block stuff. So I always find it quite interesting when people are telling me the tower block stories and and peers who I spoke to for this series. You know, has told me a few stories about that as well. I always find that all quite interesting. The tower block stuff. 
They actually filmed this. Myself and a guy called Dave Collins were filmed for a BBC programme about pirate radio, and they filmed this on the top of a tower block. They filmed us setting it up. Was it a setup, or were you actually setting it up? No, it was really it, well. It was it was a bit of a setup, really, because they just wanted to film us um, installing this pirate radio thing. So, as far as I remember, I think it was a bit of a setup, but it was on a tower block. And the reporter did come up on the ladder and filmed us climbing up a ladder and that sort of thing, which was quite daring at the time because obviously what we was doing was illegal. But no one followed followed it up or chased us, you know. I have seen various bits of video. I mean, there's loads of stuff on YouTube, and and uh, there's certainly uh, I've seen one with the Phoenix Radio guys, John Scott, who I also knew very well, um, started off on, on one of my stations. Uh, him, you know, going up in a lift with an aerial and all that sort of stuff. But you never you never quite know how set up these things were. Because I know that a lot of people are very, very jumpy about being filmed and, and stuff like that. Although, although I've seen plenty of pictures of Martin on the internet at the top of a tower block with a radio and a transmitter in his hand. Exactly. I mean, it really didn't bother me. Me and Steve Price, we used to do an Alice's Restaurant Roadshow at a pub. It's no longer there, called the Wellington in, uh, in Shepherd's Bush. Uh, we was doing sort of the, the music in between the, 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 the two live bands that would be on. And we'd go down there as the Alice's Restaurant Roadshow. And when we first done it, we obviously thought, well, this is we're taking a chance now because we're using, you know, Colin Oval, Steve Price, Alice's Restaurant Roadshow. Is anything going to happen? But nothing did. No, well, I think the thing is that to catch you actually doing the, the broadcasting. That, that was the, the rules. It was never a criminal offence either, which a lot of people don't. It, it, it was not an arrestable offence either, which, which I always found a bit weird. But the, the other thing is, certainly in the early days, we used to organise to have meetings at pubs. People say to people, you know, we'd be at a pub. We used to use the three cults in Buckerstill, funnily enough. But I know that the guys at North London Radio back in the late 70s, early 80s used the Cambridge pub on the Great Cambridge Roundabout, which again isn't there anymore. It's knocked down. You know, it was quite common for guys to say, you know, we'll be at this pub tonight if you want to come and meet us and things like that. People did occasionally. They came down. It really was was just a chance for pirates to get together and talk about being pirates. But, you know, I mean, I don't know if the DTI ever sent spies to these things. I was never very guarded about what I said. And I I don't think people were. I think they probably got better things to do again or had better things to do. But no, it, it is interesting that, you know, at those times we weren't necessarily very guarded about where we would be and what we'd be doing. I've always had the opinion, and it sort of has been bared out from what I've heard since, that if they wanted to bust the station, they would. And it was pretty much, there's not a lot you could do about it, other than obviously linking the studios and stuff. That's more uh, higher security, shall we say. Yeah, I mean, we, we when we turned up, you know, you, 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 it, was, it was a policy not to look like rock stars, not to have, you know, like a Led Zeppelin T-shirt on. There was no CD, so don't carry your records in, um, in, a, in a record box. Don't get in the lift with other people. Little rules like everybody had a key to get in the main door or, you, or they, they, knew, they knew the code. Some people even had their shows or the music on cassette, so they didn't have to bring any You know, it was all on like, two cassettes, so they didn't have to bring any albums or any, uh, any music into the studio. So there was different ways of, of, of doing it and not, be, not being caught. Cool. The other thing, of course, is the mail that came in. The amount of mail we used to get sometimes was amazing. Well, it, it, was, it was a popular station. There's no doubt about it. And anybody who was around at the time and involved 
you know, remembers Alice's restaurant very well. And that, you know, obviously there's plenty of about, again, plenty about them on the internet. And the AMFM book has got quite a lot of uh, stuff about Alice's restaurant and stuff. Uh, although I know people who were involved in helping to write that book were also involved in Alice's restaurant. So there was a bit of that because I got a mention and I didn't think I would have done otherwise. So how long with Alice's? How many years would you say you were with Alice's? Until it's until it stopped. So I suppose it must have been in the early 80s. And I'm guessing it must have stopped in about um 86 87 maybe i'm not 100 certain but it was towards i think it i think what happened apart from having quite a few busts with the with the transmitters i think there was issue issuing some fm radio licenses at the time and i think we were going for the one that xfm finally got and i think the rules were that if you stop being a pirate this is where Jazz FM and Kiss got their like licenses i think if you stop being a pirate you stood a chance of getting an fm frequency legally yeah i think that was one reason why it why it why it stopped i think as far as i can remember yeah it was uh, like i say it was, a, it was a popular station i also think that stations run their courses in the end the people you know because you're not you're, you're always taking a risk you're not getting paid and eventually it just becomes something that uh, it takes up so much of your time and and life gets in the way it's that's certainly what happened with me i don't know it happened with a number of other people we were all quite young at the time and then, you know, you get married and have children and then you realise, you know, there, there are more important things than running up and down tower blocks or throwing aerials into trees. I think, I think you're, you're quite right. I think, I think it did run its course and was getting busted a few times uh, with the transmitters and then this FM thing coming. And this, 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 the chance of being uh, getting an FM uh, frequency legally, I think that was it. And when, you know, we decided to stop, we stopped. I think it rung its course, really. Yeah, you, you, you're quite right. I don't think there's much more you could do, you know, with because the, of the setup you've got. You know, you've got, as I said, two decks, a little cassette player and a small mixer. What, can, what more can you do? That seems to be the way that most stations end up. They run out of steam, basically. It seems to be the case. So after Alice's, what, what, did, you, what did you move on to after that? Ah, well, nothing at all. I completely, although I still like rock music, I completely, I thought, well, that's it. I've done, I've done it now. I'll, I'll, I'll stop. I'll stop, you know. And I was an engineer for British Gas. So I had a, I had a, I had a fairly good, well-paid job. So as much as I like radio, you, you know, when, when, when you're living the life and you're paying rent, mortgage and all the rest of it, you can't suddenly drop a job and then, you know, try and work in radio for nothing, if you like, to, to, to build it up. So I just, I just gave it up for a good 10, 15 years maybe doing nothing. Um, and then the internet came along. And I was messing around, um, listening to, so trying to find rock stations and rock music on the uh, on the internet. And I came across again another station called ARFM, uh, which I quite liked. And Steve Price popped up, who I used to work with at Alice's. <laughs> so I sent him an email and um, just said, and he actually was on air when I got in touch with him. And he, I remember him saying, he said one of these really strange emails from a long lost friend that he hasn't seen for, you know, heard of for about 15 years. Um, and he played me a record by skin, funnily enough. Um, and then after he was off air, I got in touch with him. And he was living down in uh, Sussex, I think, right down south. And uh, he said, come down and see him. Because this is where the studio was for ARFM. So I went down there one Saturday. Sat in on a show. Um, I don't know if it, if you got the same feeling, but once you're in a radio studio, you feel at home and quite comfortable. Like you know, you get geeky people like looking at trains and planes. But I like looking at radio studios. Really strange. Well, I, I I was I was on the radio last night, and and someone from a, a station that I also uh, work on 
over in Northamptonshire. I'm not in Northamptonshire anymore, but I still do their Sunday morning breakfast. And he said, oh, I'm listening to you on this other stage, which is Nova FM in, in Shropshire. And uh, I sent him a picture of the studio. I said, all little geeks and anoraks love a picture of a studio. I know, it's really strange. Um, and then, of course, uh, then I think Steve was doing a promo for um, Firefest at the time. And he 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 didn't want to do the do the voiceover on it because he was doing it all the time. So I done a little voiceover for him in the studio, and he played that out. Uh, he was interviewing somebody that was organising uh, Firefest, uh, so we done all that. Uh, and then he finished, and then we was chatting, chatting, and chatting, and chatting. And he said to me, "Well, you know, have you ever thought about getting back into it again?" And I said, "Well, no, not at all, really. You know." Um, and then he said, "Well, if you, you know, if we need some good presenters. If ever you've got any, you know, thoughts, let me know." And that was it, really. And then, as I said, I was working for British Gas, and early retirement came up from from, from British Gas. Uh, and I've been there since I left school, so final salary pension. So I was I was okay to leave. I could go. And then people kept saying to me, "Well, when you, you know, when you retire, you need to do something. You know, collect stamps or do something, train spotting." And, I, and they said, what, what interests? I said, well, radio interests me. So they said, well, why don't you get back on the radio again? Because they'd heard me on Alice's and things like that. So I got back in touch with Steve again and said, look, you know, I'm leaving work. I've got plenty of time on my hands now. Um, if you want me, I'm available. And that was it, really. I think that was in about 2013, 14, something like that. Um, and that was it. And then I was on holiday. And I got a message saying that the guy that was doing a new and unsigned band show on ARFM was leaving, would I like to do it? So I now do an unsigned show between 7 and 9 on a Friday, and then I do the uh, 10 o'clock breakfast show on a Sunday for a couple of hours. So I quite, I quite enjoy it. So I'm back into it again now. Yes, yes. It's remarkable, really, how easy it is to get on the air now and, and get a decent audience, you know, if, if you're if you're doing it properly, compared with what we used to have to go through back in the day, I always find it quite amusing that I can plug in from this room what I'm in at the moment and broadcast to the entire world quite easily. It, it's about the technology. I was I was at a meeting um, the other day and there was a load of people there, creators, and they were TikTokers and YouTubers and stuff. And I used to think, and they're all sort of 15, 16 years old. And I was thinking, they're doing exactly what I was doing back in the late 70s, early 80s just that I was doing it with the technology available to me at the time, which was basically an illegal transmitter, and they're doing it with the technology that's available to them. So that desire to be creative just seems to be a constant thing of people of that age, and some of us never lose it. Some people that um, used to listen to Alice's Restaurant still listen to ARFM now, and remember me and Steve on uh, Alice's Restaurant. And ARFM stands for Apple Rocks for some reason. It's not, it's not Alice's Restaurant. And some of them do get confused and have said to me, oh, you know, why don't you call it Alice's Restaurant? Why is it ARFM? And I said, well, AR isn't Alice's Restaurant. You know, that's completely gone by the by now, you know. But, yeah, I, I mean, the days of pirate radio were, you know, just so much fun. It, this is the thing I've found talking to people for this series and, and that everybody, it was about fun. It was about enjoying yourself. We all loved radio. People did it for different reasons, I think. Um, I was more of a presenter than an engineer. Just you had to learn about switching a transmitter on to be able to get on the air. And, and that was the thing. Uh, and it was all so interconnected as well. That's the thing I, I, I found most interesting. I think with Alice, sorry, I think with Alice's as well, we were such a great bunch of friends. You know, a few presenters drifted in, drifted out, that myself, Steve, uh, Lawrence, Martin, 
peers even. You know, we were so dedicated to it, really, and we all got on really well together. I don't remember any major arguments. And we used to do newsletters and stuff. That I don't remember any meeting where there was any, you know, any, anybody saying we should go this way, we should go that way. Well, I, I think Alice's Restaurant had a very, very clear vision of what they wanted to be. Um, and, and I think ultimately they wanted to be a legal rock station for London. I think that was the always the intention. That was the, that was the plan, yeah. That's why it stopped. From what I remember, again, someone will correct me on this and I'll probably get shouted out on the Facebook page about this. But um, I'm pretty sure they started off being with all the Phoenix radio guys as well. And then when they realised that Phoenix didn't really fit in, their music policy didn't really fit in with what Alice's was doing. Um, you know, Phoenix was very much an alternative music station. Alice's was a rock station. And I think they, they sort of decided it was going to be too brand for the want of a better phrase. And I think it worked really, really well. I know that, that one was on on a, was it one was on on a Saturday, one on a Sunday or something like that, I think. I think it was Saturday, Sunday. And then when we got busted a, a little bit, we um, it was only on Sunday. But we used to do specials at Easter time and Christmas time and things like that. If we could get the, you know, if we hadn't been busted. Because I think, obviously, the guys making the transmitters also made transmitters for other stations. There's a lot of Greek stations around and things like that. So a lot of the money that came in that was supplying our transmitters was, 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 came from, from that sort of, you know, other stations as well. Yeah, I know, I know there was a selection of transmitter builders who built lots and lots of stations. And it was, you know, I mean, they were running businesses, basically, the long and the short of it. Bought, I bought all my transmitters from Martin, put it that way. If you, if you see, if went into Martin's bedroom, his house, or, or Piers's, or it's got another guy called Yusuf, who I've, I've just remembered his name, yeah? Um, and you, you would just see soldering irons and solder and cables and little, you know, bits of electronics all over the place as I was putting these things together, you know? I know most of the people who are former pirates and, and involved in the Facebook group, which is where this whole podcast has come out of, are all, or most of them, seem to be in some way still connected with radio, either technically or as presenters on one of the many, many stations that are around here. So any other stuff you want to tell us about your time analysis? Any any uh, any strange, weird scrapes with the authorities? Not with, we've, we've had them outside the studio. I remember being in the tower block in East London and we saw, we was looking out, we was looking out of the window and we, we were still broadcasting, but they hadn't got us. We could see three or four guys walking around the bottom. So I think they knew where the, the, you know, it was in this tower block, but they obviously they needed to follow somebody in and no one was going to go in or no one was going to go out. So I think that was a, another funny one. The other thing was with the Debbie doing the phone calls, there was a lady trying to tune into Radio 4 and she tuned into us and become a fan and started listening all the time to us. Um, that, was quite an, that was quite an amusing thing, really. And just meeting different people when you was out and about. I mean, it was quite secretive, so you couldn't, as I say, you couldn't bring people in the studio and, and, and stuff like that. But, um, no, I, we, we just had a, a great time, and it was, it was good music. And the other thing, of course, is nowadays people want to send you demos. It comes through via email or MP3s. In them days, you'll get a cassette in the post. Or if the band was really lucky, they might have had to recall something on vinyl. But you'd get a cassette in the post with this demo on, you know, to, to, to play and things like that. Yeah, I, I've still got... Um... I've got two large boxes of cassettes, uh, programs from the station that I was doing. And also, as you say, lots of demos from punk bands and alternative music bands and, and so on. I've still got a lot of that stuff. <laughs> and, and although I should probably get rid of it, I just don't feel like, I mean, you know, when I'm gone, I'm sure my kids will just skip the whole lot. 
I just feel very attached to to that as as part of my past. Yeah, th- th- there was a QX magazine. I think was a was it QX magazine, radio magazine, TX magazine. That's it. Yeah, I've still got some of those. Yeah, we used to get mentioned in uh, City Limits and Time Out magazine as well. But it was just it was just fun times, really. You know, um, it would be nice if we could all meet up again. Really, I'm still in touch with Steve. Um, I'd like to speak to Martin again. I think he's down in Brighton. He's still involved in radio as well. But everyone looks a bit. Everyone looks. He's going to look older now. You know, we're all. It was a long time ago. You know, you see photographs now because now and again, a few pictures sort of come up. You know, from the studios and things like that. I put a picture up of me in the very first Comsat studio, which would have been just after the Phoenix Radio people and, and me split up and went our separate ways. And uh, I just look so thin. I've got so much hair, and I look so thin. You do. You see pictures of people on there. I mean, we're, you know, we're all we're all in our fifties, some in our sixties, you know, and it, it, it's quite interesting. Um, I, 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 one more thing that I know did happen: somebody had actually got recordings of Valley's Restaurants programs, and I think it was happening down in Devon, Cornwall, but somewhere down south, and it was broadcasting the programs just out from wherever they were. I think there's a huge amount of nostalgia for a lot of the stations. You know, when, when you look at, I mean, there were a lot of them were quite big operations. And I mean, I, I, as I said, I, I had, I've, I've recorded or, or spoken to Nick Catford and they had 20, by the time they went off air as a pirate, they had 20 employees. And I don't know if you know, but Radio Jackie went and bought a small scale ILR station and changed its name to Radio Jackie and now still broadcast. Yeah, at least, at least, at least the, uh, the name's out there now. I mean, we used to run a few adverts and things like that. I mean, Ugly Child Records comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, the guy in Ho Street in Walthamstow. And Sh- was it Shades, the rock one in, in Soho? But a lot of the record music we had in the studio was from Shades in uh, Wardour Street. Uh, St Anne's Place, I think, or St Anne's Street. St yeah, you're right. I, I remember. I remember the. Uh, I, I worked in the record business as well for quite a while, and, and it was something I was familiar with. Used to go down there with uh, Steve Price and choose music and stuff like that, you know, for the and then take. I think sometimes as well between me and you, we'd play them on the radio, then they go back and be sold in the shop, <laughs> and nobody, and nobody, and nobody knew. But um, not not unusual, believe me. Every every record sales place I ever worked in, we used to play the stock all the time. <laughs> so uh, yes, that that's that's not unusual at all. Um, Colin, it's been great speaking to you. Lovely hearing about Alice's because, as I said, I know the guys from Alice's or have known them, and uh, it's just lovely to hear it from another perspective as well. So thank you ever so much for having a chat with us today. Yeah, and a big thanks to all the people that may be hearing this that used to listen to us on Alice's Restaurant as well. Um, and I know them still listen to ARFM, but uh, yeah, thanks to all the listeners really because without the listeners and the mail that came in and the, and the music as well, the bands, the, the you know the demo tapes and stuff like that. Because without any of that, there would have been no radio station at all, really. So yeah, it is it is about the audience in the end. Thanks for listening to this Pirates of the Airways podcast, and thanks to Colin for giving us his time. The email, if you want to get in touch, is piratepod7080 at gmail.com and you can leave a comment on the Lambase Pirate Radio of the 70s and 80s Facebook group. We'll be back in two weeks. That's the 7th of September with a new episode. Until then, stay safe and don't get caught.
Radio Nova, broadcasting on 14.04 kilohertz of the medium wave band, 212 meters. Unfortunately, we've had to suspend your regular broadcasting. This is due to the post office requiring to test and inspect our equipment. We'll return you to normal broadcasting just as soon as we can. This is a 1386 audio production.